Ignition sequence start. Five, four, three, two. This is the Breaking Barriers Podcast. The conversation about changing the narrative for boys and young men of color in Western New York. Let's go. What's up, y'all? It's Dwayne Sawyer, and I'm back. We back, y'all. We back. Oh, man. Ever since the Rona started, it's been tough. But, you know, we here, we strong, and we together. So, you know, that's all that matters. Um, today, we have very special guests joining us. We got council members. We got directors. We got CEOs. We, 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 we booming up in here. Breaking Bears is on the rise, y'all, and we is constantly moving. So today we got Xavier, Xavier Lamar here. He's a fellow member and has been for a few years now. Xavier, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. And then we have, of course, the one and only Daniel Robinson, director of the program, also peer mentor for us and has been for years also as well. So we thank you for coming. Hey, what's up, D-Line? Good to see you, man. What's up? And then we got Mr. Sean Dove, the CEO of CBMA a peer mentor, of course, in his community. He also helped launch the Obama, the Obama My Brother's Keeper initiative, as long with the youth development professional, and he's a, com- a community builder and advocate for children. So we thank you for, thank you for joining us, Mr. Dove. Well, thank you for the invitation, uh, Duane, and uh, I'm excited to uh, have this conversation, um, looking at your, uh, your, your faces, and uh, just I'm inspired. Thank you. We really appreciate you joining us. I know it's chaotic right now for you and probably your team, but um, we appreciate you joining in and hopping on with us. Happy to be here. So let's get now to it. Um, I just want to say, uh, let's get a little insight about you, Mr. Dove. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Oh, wow. How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> okay, let me uh, try and uh, uh, give you uh, the microwave version. But even before I do that, um, I just want to uh, 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 shout you out and uh, uh, the team and Xavier. And uh, one of the mantras of the uh, campaign for Black Male Achievement is that we have to become masters of our own media and uh, take control and uh, tell our own stories and uh, shape our own narrative. And what you all are doing with this podcast, what you're doing on the ground in Buffalo, um, the nation is uh, 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 looking at your work. And so I just wanna just commend you for your leadership and what you're doing and uh, for launching this podcast. And um, wow, um, I'm 57 years old, native New Yorker, uh, born to an amazing uh, 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 mom, Jamaican mother, Deanna, you know, got to shout her out. It's, uh, you know, uh, a couple of days past Mother's Day, but uh, if you all are like me, you know, every day is a, a Mother's Day and, uh, you know, live in every borough in New York City, uh, except for Staten Island. And uh, my mother really utilized uh, uh, social and community uh, uh, capital, uh, particularly in my early years uh, when we lived in the South Bronx and uh, she found um, someone to take care of me during the week, right? So I lived in Harlem on 119th Street and Lenox Avenue during the week. And um, that uh, was a really formative experience. Uh, My godmother, uh, who took care of me, also took care of some other uh, young people, uh, single moms and mothers that needed a, a, a support. I don't know if you all have ever seen the movie uh, Lackawanna Blues with uh, uh, Hill Harper, but it was a very much similar uh, uh, scenario. There were borders uh, 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 in the house. It was one of these huge old Harlem uh, uh, apartments. You know, we're talking way before you guys were born back in the 60s. And... Uh, my uh, godmother, Lel, she was a numbers runner, right? Uh, she ran numbers with uh, 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 Nikki Barnes's father, Roy Barnes. And I got to test my audience face on screen. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say run numbers, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> and so there was always lots of uh, uh, activity uh, and a real sense of a, a community, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, it was uh, uh, the 60s and, and early uh, 70s in Harlem. Uh, there was, uh, yes, there was violence. Uh, yes, there was uh, 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 drugs, uh, particularly uh, heroin and sniffing glue and mm-hmm. 
Um, but I recall those days uh, with uh, feeling uh, this cocoon of community and protection, right? And if I was a block away from my corner on Lenox Avenue and, and, and roamed down to 7th Avenue, 119th Street, there was this sense of community and adults uh, knew who I was and who I belonged to. And they were like, that's one of Lel's kids. You know you're not supposed to be down here. Get your butt back to uh, a, a Lenox Avenue. And um, long before uh, there was a text, or uh, a social media, by the time I got to the one block, you know, uh, my godmother knew that I had strayed down the block. And I just bring that up because I think that you all are the uh, 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 conveyors of such community that we need to still, in, you know, uh, build uh, within um, particularly the, the, the black community, right? And so there's a lot of hope there. Uh, my mom and I moved down to the Upper West Side to live together exclusively for fifth grade. And you know, I'll speed the story up a, a, a little bit, but um, I was what you call it, like a latchkey kid, right? My mother was working. And uh, so um, I had the you know, keys to the house. Uh, you know, when I left uh, for go to school, my mother had already, uh, I'd gone to work and, uh, you know, she, and she was just amazing. Um, when we moved uh, to uh, the Upper West Side, it was a one bedroom and she gave me the uh, one bedroom. She slept on a pullout couch. Wow. Um, but it was a time, you know, in my early adolescence, I was uh, uh, feeling myself and uh, starting to hang out and uh, thought I wanted to, uh, uh, you know, sell loose joints on the corner of 80th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. And I know y'all don't know anything about uh, loose joints and uh, <laughs> what, I'm, what, what I'm talking about. And uh, a transformational moment in, in my life has had a number of transformational moments and it's uh, really have been catalyzed by community and mentors was uh, one of my friends telling me that there was this youth program uh, called the Dome Project that was uh, starting a basketball team and giving away uh, sneakers and uniforms. And uh, when I got to the Dome uh, to join the team, they had given away the last pair of sneakers and the last uniform, and they said I was too late. And it was in the basement of All Angels Church on uh, 80th Street between Broadway and Western Avenue um, in Manhattan's Upper West Side. And I thought it was some kind of cult. You know, my mom's had a bunch of books uh, in the house, uh, you know, readers are leaders and she instilled in, you know, in me and, 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 and my school, schooling and education early on an avid love for reading. I was a big comic uh, book head, but I used to pull the books off my mother's shelf and skim through the books, quite frankly, looking for some steamy, sexy scenes. In the <laughs> um, and there was this one book called Helter Skelter uh, about Charles Manson. And uh, in this youth program at the Dome, uh, there was this tall white dude, uh, looked like Charles Manson. I swore that this was a cult, right? But uh, it was a youth program. And I eventually got on the basketball team, got my first job through the Dome Project. Um, eventually um, got a scholarship to a prep school in uh, uh, Massachusetts. I started my uh, first two years of high school at Brooklyn Tech. And um, my last two years uh, went to this prep school called Lawrence Academy and um, then went on to Wesleyan University and thought that after Wesleyan, you know, I discovered writing and poetry uh, at Lawrence Academy. Uh, but I would say that the thing that uh, struck me really at the Dome Project and what I've kind of carried in my uh, youth development and community building career is kind of synthesizing and being innovative. And one of the things that John Simon used to do with us was we couldn't get on a basketball court until we read out loud in a circle, right? I remember reading Man Child in the Promised Land. I remember uh, reading uh, Charles Dickens' Great uh, uh, Expectations. And uh, uh, after we left the court and we were hanging out in the corner, we were talking about characters uh, uh, in, the, in the book, right? And so in my early formative years, um, I was introduced to a number of uh, social entrepreneurs and leaders and coaches uh, that instilled in me this sense of a, of a possibility and, and, and uh, believing in me before um, I even believed uh, in myself. And, you know, after college, I tried four years in uh, the corporate sector selling textiles and uh, came back uh, after four years of um, 
uh, trying that and being a part of the Dome project and became their first executive director. And mm -hmm. so in a way, epitomized uh, what the program and, and, and the youth development strategy was all about. Uh, got involved when I was 12, 13, and when I was uh, 24, came back to be the executive director. Uh -huh. And so... I'm only up to 24 years old, I'm, I'm 57, <laughs> and I want to stop there because I don't know how much time we have, but I'll circle back to a modern day, but I just wanted to uh, uh, take a pause. I'm running out of breath, and um, yeah. my mouth is getting dry, so I'm going to take a well, <laughs> Yeah, take a break, but um, man, it sounds like you had a uh, not-so-decent childhood. You know, a lot of people who have went through, you know, traumatizing childhoods have made it, and they've came exceptionally far what pushed you motivated wow. you at that time so I, I i would say i i had a decent childhood right um so you know i i wouldn't say i, I had a my childhood was bad right um i think what motivated me was uh, this sense of uh i was loved right i was loved by my mom my uh, community love uh my uh um, and while I uh, did not grow up with my uh, father, uh, mm -hmm. my mother and father were not together, never woke up one day to say, good morning, dad. Uh, I had uh, mentors and coaches uh, uh, in my life and, and, and folks that poured into me um, and saw something in me. And I think it's important to note that we are uh, recording this uh, podcast during, um, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month. Right, and uh, you mentioned a, a, a trauma, and um, one of the things that I really espouse uh, in my leadership with the campaign for Black Male Achievement, but just in general, is the importance of uh, asking for help. Yeah. Um, I uh, say to leaders, uh, if you don't have a mentor, uh, executive coach, and a therapist, um, you know, you're going to have a hard time leading. But, you know, you, you mentioned uh, uh, D-Wayne. Um, am I pronouncing uh, D-Wayne properly? D-Wayne. All right. Okay. Um, that you mentioned trauma. Right? Yeah. And so what's really important, particularly in this, you know, the season that we're in, this uh, COVID-19 um, pandemic, where so much is being accelerated and, and amplified. Uh, it is clear to everyone that's aware that many folks in our community, uh, a black community were experiencing trauma before COVID-19 and it has uh, amplified it. But uh, one of the things I wanted to say as you refer to my childhood is that I, even at my late age, uh, uh, stories that I used to uh, tell as badge of honor stories, uh, 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 stories of my resiliency. Uh, uh, I used, you know, and I still say, you know, I have a PhD from UCLA, the university in the corner of Lenox Avenue. Uh, it wasn't until recently that, as I began to dig deep and, 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 and tell these stories under a therapeutic context and realize, hold up, that, uh, that's not a badge of honor story. That was a traumatic experience that you had, Sean. And uh, I think we buy into this narrative that uh, um, we're supposed to own, you know, the black experience is one of trauma, right? Mm -hmm. What I love about, um, Zoom, you know, as you can see, I got books all around me, but one of my books in Reach and Range is uh, uh, the post-traumatic uh, uh, syndrome. Uh, uh, syndrome, right? And that, so there is indeed, uh, I think, generational and cellular uh, 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 trauma that we are still experiencing as uh, a people and things that we experience in our lifetime. And if I don't say anything else, um, on this podcast, uh, what I would want to uh, communicate is that, um, one, uh, you can't be Black in America and, and, and not uh, require some kind of therapeutic community healing wellness. Um, 
you know, what did James Baldwin say, you know, uh, to be black in America and barely conscious is to be almost in a, uh, a constant state of rage, right? That might not be exactly what he said, but you know, you, you, you get it. And so that it's okay um, uh, because somebody's listening to this right now that might be feeling uh, a little sh ashamed and afraid uh, about how they're handling or feeling uh, stress depressed, uh, maybe even suicidal in this moment to uh, ask for help. And that therapy and trauma is not about fixing anything that is broken. It's about discovering new tools and ways and, and, and what makes you tick as a, a, a individual and, 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 and as a leader. Right. Um, Sean, that was definitely something we really need to hear. Tra trauma is one of those keys that we all have to face at some point in our lives. But, um, Hey, Dwayne, can I jump in here real quick? Oh, go right ahead, Daniel. So Sean, you touched on a number of different, uh, points and issues and brought up some things that started to trigger some things in my mind. So mm. talk about the emotional, uh, emotional welfare of, of ourselves as, as, especially as black men, especially going through this time with COVID. Um, some of the things that are happening to our, uh, happening to individuals that look like us all across all across the country right now. Yeah, uh, the fatherhood piece is something that's always big for me, and that's always big for the young men that we work with. Mm -hmm. uh, so, give you a little feedback, a little up, update on some of the things that we've been doing um, since we've been going virtually. We've been doing these daily Zoom calls with our young men, and we kind of started that as a response to we just know our young men were going to need some social and emotional support working yes. through this. Um, so. Some of the feet, I'm actually going to ask Xavier and Dwayne to kind of chime in on what those Zoom calls have actually done for them during this time, because we've been doing it for about five weeks now. And then I want to kind of dig a little bit on that fatherhood piece, because it's something that always comes up in conversation with our young men. So Xavier, can you just talk a little bit about, um, just give, give us, give Sean some feedback in regards to what those, uh, what, what you've experienced during those Zoom meetings. So those Zoom meetings, I really be enjoying those Zoom meetings. Uh, for me. At the beginning of this crisis, I'm glad that you were able to still be able to be connected because I knew that we won't be able to always go to say yes here, to always be together in a brotherhood, talk about all our issues. So we needed a way to stay connected and these Zoom meetings really help helps with that. And these Zoom meetings, they're not always about like conversation. We also do cooking. We, we're also learning from these Zoom meetings. We're also mm -hmm. getting the exercise we need. <laughs> we, matter of fact, we just did workout Wednesday. Hey, workout Wednesday. Crazy workout today, but <laughs> do enjoy it. And we also getting, we also hear from leaders in the community, what they're doing. We heard from Councilman member Wyatt. We also be learning about financial advice about our futures. And so these meetings are actually having value to us. And that's what I really enjoy. And this COVID crisis, uh, though, is making it as hard to us to be actually connected uh, at the same time we're still getting more information that we ever learned with these mm -hmm. meetings being every day great great Xavier how old are you oh, I'm 16 you're 16 wow wow what are some of your hopes and dreams right now hopes and dreams as far as my career goal uh, yeah. I want to become a politician hopefully one day become president of this country uh, and I found that passion a couple years ago after the 2016 election and I've been really been engaged in and politics ever since. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. funny that he says that, Sean, because he's actually earned the names, the nickname Zabama. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you 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 got my vote, uh, yeah. and uh, inspired to hear that um, that that possibility thinking, and uh, keep pressing uh, with with that. And uh, I want to just you know before we go to uh, Dwayne, uh, you guys are. Um, Wearing some 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 powerful swag there, the breaking barriers of swag yeah, and the yeah. buffalo. You, are, and so you already know. I, I will send you my address and my. Great, great, and, and and I've experienced some. I don't know if any of you have gone to the Cities United. Community oh yeah. And, and okay, so we have been in community together and. Uh, uh, there have been some folks from um, Buffalo that I've interacted with, not only the Cities United gathering, but our Rumble Young Man Rumble uh, 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 gathering at the Muhammad Ali Center. So uh, uh, we're already in community. Uh, but uh, Dwayne, I would love to hear, you know, your response also mm -hmm. about the um, the Zoom calls. 
Yeah, we got to find our way to the Rumble. Oh, he, oh, he, he didn't even <laughs> talk about it. Oh, okay. Let me, up, I got to update you guys on that because we hadn't heard the news that CBMA is sunsetting uh, uh, this year, right? And so the Rumble may be just like this, uh, virtual, right? And uh, we're going to call it the last Rumble, you know, just like the last dance, the last Rumble. But uh, go ahead, Dwayne. Um, the Zoom calls have been dope, you know. I, I feel like it's definitely needed in times like these. You know, I was feeling discouraged. I was talking to Daniel. I, just, I got some family stuff going on, you know. The coronavirus took all of us by surprise, and a lot of us are stuck. We don't know what's next. We don't know what to do. And I was just telling Daniel, like, dude, I don't even feel like myself. I feel like everything that I was doing prior to the virus is, like, at a stall. Like, can't do nothing. Um, my life, everybody's life is just stuck at the moment. We're paused. And I, I was just telling him, I don't know which ways I should do to cope with everything going on, you know, stress related or family issues, et cetera. But the problem is having brothers who listen to you, talk to you and actually feel what you're coming from and feel where you, like what you're saying is dope. It, it shows that there's people out there, like you were saying earlier, who who's going to give you that love and care yeah. that you need to grow. Wow. Not only is it dope, um, it's essential. And it is the difference uh, for some of us between surviving and not surviving. And, uh, you know, Dan, Daniel had lifted up, you know, the ability for you, Dwayne, to say that you went to Daniel and say, you know, uh, uh, this is how I'm feeling going through this, right? The, the level of uh, vulnerability that it takes, right? And, uh, a generation ago, um, that was not an acceptable or cool thing for oh, uh, the masculinity. Uh, yeah, the the, the, the max, you know, masculinity and, and and distorted, you know, gender norms and um, to be able to do that, you know, one of the brothers in our network is uh, Jason Wilson, you probably know, who has uh, the book uh, uh, "Cry Like a Man," right? Uh, I can run over to my shelf and get it if you need the prop, but I would recommend him for this podcast. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back to the, uh, you know, you triggered something um, that I think relates to the fatherhood uh, of peace. Um, I, um, like I said, I didn't grow up with my dad. Me neither. Me neither, Sean. So, yeah, and I, and, and it was not like I had this sense of community. I did not think consciously I had this whole hole in my soul or this daddy hunger. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's there, right? It, 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 you know, it, it was certainly there. A uh, couple of things that speaks to that is um, I remember, so I have four children, um, two daughters. Um, you know, my daughters were my firstborn and then twin boys. And I remember... Um, my boys were maybe four and it was a thunderstorm in uh, the middle of the night. And um, my first born twin Cameron um, in the middle of the night was calling out for me, right? uh, uh, calling for daddy, right? And at three o'clock in the morning, I'm like, uh, why isn't he calling for his mother? You know, <laughs> why is he calling for mommy? And um, I went into his room and, um, you know, kind of ushed him to sleep, so everything was gonna be okay, went back to sleep. And then when I went back to uh, my bed and I laid down and stared at the ceiling, I said, wow, I wonder what that is like to call for your father in the middle of the night and call for your daddy. And he actually comes. And he comes and he's there. And um, it was at that moment I said, Sean, okay, you can't lament what you did not have, right? And be uh, a, a grateful and, and, and proud that you are there for your children, right? And uh, so, you know, that, that, that was a moment that sticks with me with, with, with fatherhood. But when we talk about the vulnerability piece and the masculinity piece, I recall having separate conversations with my biological dad 
who I developed a relationship later on in life, and my uh, late father-in-law. And these were separate conversations. And so uh, my biological dad eventually married and uh, actually had twin uh, uh, a son and daughter. And uh, he left that marriage, right? And I remember having a conversation with him and he was describing uh, what he was going through and uh, the pressure he felt. And some of it was economic, some of it was emotionally, some of it was dealing with responsibility. And he described, uh, he said, you know, he felt the walls were closing in and uh, he just left. And the eerie thing was I was having a separate conversation uh, with my late father-in-law. And this was, uh, he, um, he had prostate cancer that had spread through his body. And I remember uh, he and I was in a car um, and I was driving him from New Jersey to Far Rockaway, Queens. And uh, he was telling me, a similar story uh, uh, when he left his family. And uh, the thing that gave me chills, he used the same terminology um, when the, I felt like the walls were closing in on me and I, and I, and I left. And I said to myself, uh, I didn't say it out loud, but I'm grateful that uh, I am coming up in an era where uh, it is okay for me to say to another brother, uh, I need help. Uh, I'm scared. And in their generation, that was not a cool thing to do. They had to white knuckle it and, 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 and give this front that uh, they are um, okay. uh, uh, strong. And I just think of how many fathers, because they didn't have the tools um, and uh, the ability emotionally, therapeutically, psychologically, one brother to another to come and get support. And I'm just grateful to uh, hear and see uh, uh, young brothers like you and Xavier and uh, Daniel, I'm throwing you into the young brothers category as, as, as well. <laughs> uh, because my mentor, the one that you know very well, Mr. McClam is always trying to push me up into this. Uh, <laughs> thanks, I appreciate that. Good, 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 right? Sometimes you got one, you know, a foot in, uh, you know, youth and elderhood, but we are blessed to be able to um, say, what Dwayne just said, you know, um, I had to uh, just say I'm going through some emotions, right? And we can't uh, minimize that, right? I think as a community, right, and in the community on this uh, uh, Zoom call, but your larger community in Buffalo and what you're building um, in, in, in Buffalo, um, this whole notion of connectivity and to hear that, you know, for five weeks, uh you all have been doing like almost daily zoom calls right black people are some of the most adaptable and creative uh uh, uh people right we we um get creative and adaptable in, in order to survive and thrive right and so that connectivity and leveraging that technology is very uh, uh important and i know that it is has been the difference uh between um you know, some young men, you know, sinking into depression and 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 and, and not right. And uh, the last thing I will uh, ramble on and say is that what struck me um, through Xavier, right, at uh, a sixteen, to have this clear sense of vision, right, of uh, who you are and who you want to be, is a uh, uh, powerful. And, you know, it it is powerful. And I know you didn't get there. Uh, alone, right? And there was models and folks close up that you can touch and have sp spoken to and into your life. And, you know, uh, having, uh, you know, lived at a time uh, when, um, you know, we have, we, we saw our first black president, right? And knowing that that is uh, possible. Actually, what, what, what year were you born? I was born in 2004. <laughs> You know, two, so you know, so so at four years, so that's like all you, but mostly like growing up. Voting for Obama, like the first time he ran out when that was like wow, incredibly wow. small. So, you know, there are uh, barriers uh, that continue to need to be broken, and um, 
this fight that we're in, right? And we are in a fight, right? Uh, in this country, in this nation. And when we think of the, you know, bloodstained soil of what this nation was built on and the conflicting mm -hmm. schizophrenic ideals of uh, the land of the free, but being built uh, on, on slavery, uh, we need warriors uh, uh, like you because this fight, um, you know, I thought uh, once upon a time in my more naive days that uh, in my lifetime uh, and uh, work that I was doing and contributing that I would be a part of uh, 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 ending uh, 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 racism in, in, in this nation. And I remember in 2016, that summer, I had just come back from uh, spending some time with uh, two of my mentors in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, Joyce and Nelson uh, Johnson, who are founders of the Beloved Community Center. And I got with them, I was with them for a few days. And then back to back, uh, the Alton uh, Sterling uh, police killing in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And then it seemed like just a couple days after that, uh, Philandro Castile ran out of uh, uh, Minneapolis and that was on Facebook Live. And uh, uh, for me, it was a moment um, that I said, you know what, Sean, this is a long battle, right? A long fight. And until there is atonement, reconciliation, and admittance of uh, the white supremacist culture, right? We're going to keep fighting, right? And I said, you know what? The best thing you can do is pour into um, leaders, um, pass the baton, share the baton in any way that you can. And the, 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 the beauty of uh, the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, which I have uh, been grateful and blessed to lead over the last 12 years, uh, we have really at our core been about pouring into the hometown heroes, sheroes, and local leaders like yourselves, uh, providing uh, a, a space and, and platform and room for young leaders, right, to uh, do what they do, right, um, and, and for us to, uh, 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 to listen. And, you know, part of uh, our strategy was, you know, the promise of place, right? I think I might have that book somewhere uh, here to uh, use as a prop. And the essence of the promise of place is that while this is a national movement, the change happens locally, right? And that the mission mantra there is that uh, uh, your promise of places wherever uh, you decide to take a stand. And so I'm looking at all of you and you have uh, taken a stand in Buffalo, right? Are, you guys are born, uh, oh, born yeah. in Buffalo? Oh, yeah, Buffalo for life. Oh, okay, right. okay. Mm -hmm. Hometown heroes. I won't get, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Jets fan, but I won't, I won't oh, go. I won't, oh, I, I, I you won't, did. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I should have waited. I should have waited to the closing to... Uh, to <laughs> Um, I'm gonna see you some buffalo gear. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see, I, I, I see that jacket. Oh, I like you that. See y'all twice a year, man. So I, yes, yes. So I uh, love that competitive uh, 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 spirit. But I just wanted to say um, that I am um, inspired and, and and proud. Uh, of you all, like right. So I'm familiar with what you all are doing in Buffalo, but to be on this Zoom call and to uh, while we are not in person, uh, your ethos uh, is, is coming through, and I'm and I'm feeling it, right. And so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the ramble uh, there. Well, I have one more question before I switch it over. Um, why do you feel boys and men of color? need more attention right now more than any anybody else wow that's a great uh, uh question um i think that um and i wouldn't say we need more attention than uh anyone else right because i think sometimes we fall into the trap of uh the oppression olympics right um and that my pain is greater than your pain and my issue is greater than uh, uh your issue um what i will say is that um black men and boys are uh 
what Lonnie Grenier called uh, in her book, The Mind is Canary, you know, we are the canary in the mind, you know, how we are fearing, mm-hmm. thriving, um, the uh, disparities that we are facing are emblematic of the entire nation. And black men are connected to black women, are connected to black families, are connected to uh, our communities. And I think that the um, uh, success and thriving of our communities and our families are inextricably tied to how we do and how we succeed and and how we are able to um, leverage opportunities and access in systems that are designed to keep us down, right? And uh, so I think that while there has been uh, a lot of attention um, to uh, this issue, and uh, there have been lots of resources devoted to this issue, but when you look at the scale of the challenge, right, and the, 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 the size of the mountain, there have been um, inequitable uh, uh, resources, right? I think that um, we have to be the, uh, if we don't raise the flag, uh, boys and men of color, black men and uh, boys, um, it will be easy not to focus on this issue, right? Or easier. And I'm not saying that others don't lift this up, right? Actually, while this podcast is happening, uh, uh, Dr. Wisdom Powell, uh, who uh, is part of our network, is hosting a Facebook Live uh, a panel talk uh, with other leaders from across the country about racial profiling um, in uh, racial profiling of Black men uh, in the pandemic, right? And uh, so that's not a new thing, right? <laughs> Racial profiling uh, uh, since we uh, were thrown to these shores. Um, but I think it's important because we are not going to see change in our communities uh, uh, in this nation uh, if we just marginalize one popula- population. And um, no matter what that population is. And then when you look at the data, right? Uh, and there's two schools uh, and, and, and they're both real, right? Uh, black men serve their country at higher rates than any other population, right? And, um, but we're not seeing, or when you think of patriotism, uh, black men are not immediately the image and uh, uh, the face that comes up, right? And, uh, oh, but when it comes to criminality, we are the face that comes uh, uh, comes up, right? And so I think it's just really important that uh, we reclaim uh, who we are, right? Um, I think it's really important that this issue focuses on what we have been talking about, uh, the health, healing, and wellness of uh, uh, Black men, right? And we talk about underlying conditions, around health and, and, and the pandemic. And uh, we are uh, certainly, uh, I think that because of structural in, in, um, inequities are seeing more black folks die of the pan, due to the pandemic than anyone else in the, in, yeah. in the nation, black and brown. Uh, but then there are uh, instances where um, our health, right, and uh, the underlying conditions, and how do we focus on ensuring that you know uh, we are healthy? So I think that that issue, our mental, emotional, physical well-being. Then I think the other thing that's going to be real important and why we need to focus on this is around uh, wealth building and uh, economic uh, 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 mobility, right? And not just you know jobs certainly are important, right? Uh, but our ability to uh, build wealth and own and uh, uh, combine and leverage our wealth through co- cooperative economics and ownership, I think is uh, going to have to be a primary uh, strategy within um, the movement. And 
And it's not just like one thing, right? You got to have an air game, ground game. We were talking football earlier. You got to be able to run. You got to pass. Um, that you just can't look at one thing. But the whole wealth building is uh, uh, important. And one of the things I have to lift up. And so if you guys have uh, been either at a Rumble or Cities United, you probably have heard Dr. Pamela Jolly yes. Uh, yes. Uh, talk about the Black Male Equity uh, Initiative. And so I think it is, that's important. and. I'll also say why it's important, for, you know, I want to see and feel when a black baby boy is born into the world and into this society that the mother and the father's default is not one of fear and how do I protect and how is my son not a target but to be able to feel that there is a sense of hope and possibility mm -hmm. and thriving, right? And I'm not saying that doesn't exist now, but the scale that it needs to uh, uh, happen does not exist. And just what we have seen in Georgia, right? Uh, mm -hmm. This past, uh, uh, well, it just came to light. Yeah, uh, but it's been uh, out for a minute. It's been out for a minute. And what's interesting is uh, over the last five weeks, I don't know if you all have been watching the HBO series of the Atlanta uh, uh, Missing and Murdered uh, uh, Children, right? And uh, this was um, in the early, uh, late 70s and early 80s. Uh, are you guys familiar with, uh, it's on HBO, you gotta uh, uh, see it, 26, 27 um, black children killed, actually some mm -hmm. young adult. And uh, they penned it on uh, Wayne Williams, right? And I'm not saying that he did not do any of them, but he didn't do all 27. And the last episode, uh, there was this investigation with Klan involvement. Mm -hmm. And it didn't receive the media attention. Uh, this is in Georgia. Uh, it didn't receive the media attention. And they had uh, destroyed informant tapes Mm. that uh, incriminated um, these brothers uh, from the Klan. And so I still had that marinade. And I remember being 17 years old in the Northeast and, 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 and feeling what was happening in Atlanta uh, at that time. And when I saw the video and heard that, you know, this almost got swept under, it was swept under the rug until the the video was uncovered uh i said this is the same thing as atlanta uh child murders but that's, that's uh 1980 we're in 2020 but we can go to 1960 we can go back to you know our uh our history in this country things have changed our responsibility is you know how do we shift the uh 2030 headline right mm -hmm. What's 2030 narrative going to be and um, how are we vigilant in this moment because we have seen uh, natural disasters uh, like Katrina and the devastation uh, in New Orleans and uh, mm -hmm. uh, um, hoping and thinking that this was an opportunity for black folks to rebuild but uh, many were pushed out of uh, communities and de uh, uh, gentrification uh, happen. And yeah. I even look at Baltimore. Um, and I think we're five years um, away from the Freddie Gray uprising in, in, in Baltimore. And um, all the resources and uh, organizing and galvanizing that happened in that city in response. And a couple of years later, you know, the the homicide, the police brutality, not much shifted, right? Mm -hmm. And let us use this as a fault line uh, a moment. And I will uh, lift up the words of another Sean, Dr. Sean Genright, uh, Professor Sean Genright from San Francisco State University, who uh, has done research and lifts up a framework of uh, community-centered healing. And one of the things that he says is that the greatest act of social justice is uh, self-care, right? And so I want to just bring it back full circle to uh, uh, May being uh, National Mental Health yeah. uh, Month that um, why this is important is that uh, 
our self-care, our putting our oxygen mask on and uh, understanding what is ours to do and when it is to do it and when to sprint, when to rest and, 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 and all of that. And we are looking at a city like, like Buffalo to be, this is the model, this is the laboratory, right? And this work is happening across the country. And I firmly believe that the place that uh, one day we'll be able to point to to say, this is what black male achievement looks like. It's not going to be a large city, right? I don't think it's going to be a Chicago. I don't think it's going to be a New York, right? I think it's going to be the city the size of a Buffalo or, 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 or Louisville or, or Omaha with this work that's uh, uh, percolating and um, um, in closing, you know, you can see I have a habit of a uh, uh, answering questions uh, <laughs> like, like with 10, you know, 10, 10 minutes, right? And going back to the question of why this is important, right? Um, what's needed is going to be cross-sector uh, 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 leadership and engagement, right? Uh, in a place, right? And when I say that, there needs to be a commitment of government philanthropy, academia, the social not-for-profit sector, starting with citizens and, and, and community and, and, and young people coming together. And you know, our challenge has been, it hasn't been a comprehensive plan. You know, I think it's a shortcoming for folks to like invest in, right? And uh, uh, that's sustained. And so it's gonna be like a, a city like Buffalo that um, you know captures the imagination of uh, of the nation, and I think there's a difference of getting attention on this issue. Mm -hmm. You get attention, you know. There's reports, there's convenings, there is a, a a lot of talk, but when you capture the imagination around this issue, and I see it's happening around the country in in, in pockets. Um, People do whatever needs to uh, 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 be done, right? And uh, I like to, uh, you know, I coined this phrase, uh, "willionaires," right? Yeah, we need billionaires uh, in this work, but we, we, but just as importantly, we need willionaires like like yourselves that have the will to uh, uh, make things uh, happen. And uh, willionaires know where there's a will. Uh, there are more than several ways, and so yeah. uh, excited to see what happens. Uh, in, in, in Buffalo. And uh, before we close, uh, Dwayne, I'm going to come back to get your hopes and dreams uh, 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 question. So you get a little bit more time uh, to think about that. But, but Xavier, he was like, he, <laughs> he, 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 just, he just looked like, you know, go ahead, ask me. I know, right? Uh, so um, we don't call him Zay Bama for nothing, Sean. <laughs> but Sean, I cannot, uh, I want to make sure that you're uh, good on time because I, something I'm thinking about as you kind of talked about, you kind of gave those marching orders, right? And right now during COVID, I feel like is, this is something that we'll never have a chance to actually take advantage of again, I don't think, is having this time to um, kind of reflect and really look at the work and think about things that can be done. And a lot, and a lot of our neighborhoods and communities um, where individuals that live that look like us, we've, we've already been in some tough situations, right? And this COVID thing is uh, coming out of it. If we don't do some things now, we're going to be in some pretty, pretty bad, tough situations coming out of it. Definitely. So before we go to Dwayne, I just want to get your thoughts on what our communities should be thinking about and should actually be doing now to kind of put us um, in a better situation coming out of, out of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think number one, and my, my wife's a, a nurse practitioner, right? And, uh, you know, uh, is uh, been OCD around the house and making sure that uh, we are uh, practicing safe, um, safe, you know, safety to one, get out of mm -hmm. uh, and through this pandemic, right? And one of the things that has become clear, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the frontline workers that uh, run, make the country run are now considered essential. But I'll say the number one thing is to uh, continue to be safe, right? With the social distancing and self-quarantining and, uh, you know, putting your mask, you know, putting your mask on, right? So I, I think that's 
be a first thing to like, okay, let's survive the pan pandemic, right? But as we are uh, 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 surviving, um, I think it's gonna be really important that we're organizing against uh, uh, cross sectors, right? And I think this is a, a brilliant opportunity for more uh, collaboration and connectivity, both locally and um, and, and, and nationally. Uh, I uh, don't know uh, if this is an issue in, in, in Buffalo, but it's an issue in, in a lot of cities. It's, it's, it's hard to collaborate, right? And that, you know, leaders and organizations coming uh, 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 together, uh, there's a challenge because there's so many barriers. Some, sometimes it's uh, around resources. Sometimes it's who's getting the credit. And um, I think in this moment, uh, we need to certainly act uh, with urgency, right? I think also in this moment, uh, we need to listen to the Xavier's and the Dwayne's of, uh, 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 of, of the nation. And, you know, there's this whole uh, 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 framework and notion of, called the power of positive deviance. And, and, and what that tells us is that the solution to the world's most intractable uh, uh, problems uh, reside in the heads, the hands, and the hearts of uh, the folks closest uh, 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 to the challenges, right, and closest to the problems, right, and so uh, if we're not listening to uh, Xavier and Dwayne on what needs to be done, we're repeating, uh, and, and not propped up on a panel, right, but in a uh, uh, um, positions and platforms where there is uh, some, some, some power. Uh, I also think that, um, philanthropy, right? And uh, we're hearing a lot of uh, elevated conversations around uh, racial equity and philanthropy. And you know, one of the things that strikes me that and actually rubs me the wrong way is like, you know, there are folks that are like, just now realizing that COVID-19 are elevating these disparities, right? I'm like, no, uh, these are centuries old uh, 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 disparities, right? And, 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 and maybe some folks have uh, deluded um, themselves that we have made or they have made, thought they were making more progress than they were making, right? But um, I think that uh, being able to uh, get resources on the ground um, without uh, it, ample resources and also general operating support, right? And being able to demand uh, that from philanthropy, but also government, right? Because the, the re if we were able to find $2 trillion in COVID-19 response uh, in a matter of uh, uh, two and, 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 and you know, to, to, to four weeks to put on the ground, um, how do we, uh, uh, continue with that sense of urgency when it comes to uh, uh, resources, right? Because those two trillion were needed in our communities before the pandemic, right? And Anthony Smith, who runs uh, uh, Cities United, right? He's uh, talking about, you know, our communities are, you know, fighting two pandemics, right? There's the pandemic of the uh, public health crisis of violence um, in our uh, uh, communities and then, you know, it's just around health and economics. And so I do think that this is a, a, a false line moment, right? Of how do we show up during and after, because there's going to be this post-pandemic, right? And how are we holding folks accountable? And I will say, one, if, uh, you know, uh, you haven't uh, filled out the census, fill out the census, right? Because mm -hmm. it's been a distract, you know, lots of distractions and even more. And two, uh, the voting, right? And, 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 and how do we vote? And what's the organizing of uh, not just a general election, right? But our local elections, right? And, 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 and we see how uh, decisions, well, a district attorney that are um, voted in and what those decisions are like. So I think as a uh, community in voting uh, in our best interest, and I don't think we can afford to say, 
ah, you know, I don't like any other candidates, right? Um, I think that we got to be uh, as strategic as uh, uh, as possible. Like, okay, you can get with this or you can get with that, right? So this, so you can get with that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so I think that the uh, the, the civic uh, engagement, and I think at the heart, um, we were all born with unique gifts and talents, um, divine attributes as um, you know, black men, but you know, all humanity. And I think that our biggest uh, challenge uh, individually and then collectively is uh, for us to identify our calling and our purpose. And that if we are on divine mission and, 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 and locking uh, uh, missions and aims with folks in our community, right? Uh, you know, um, you know, Somebody may have a gift for entrepreneurship, right? Somebody else may have a gift for, you know, the healing professions and social, uh, uh, social work. And being able to discover uh, that, right? And I think that we grow up in a society that uh, before we begin to get to 16 years old and know that uh, who we want to be we are fighting forces of saying that, you know, there were no possibilities. Uh, you know, you ain't shit. Can I say that on? You just said it now. So I don't know, I could uh, edit, maybe edit, edit it out, right? And this, this whole notion of um, having someone to believe in you before you believe uh, uh, in, in, in yourself, right? And so there's a lot of uh, policy uh, work around economics and, and, and health disparities that needs to be done, right? And uh, there's the national work, but I would say if you're like focusing in on a, a, a Buffalo, right? Continue to elevate the need for the work and what you're doing. and and, and even if you're the, the lone voice in the room elevating the banner of black men and, uh, uh, and boys. Two, the, the, the strategic partnerships are gonna be key. Mm -hmm. One organization, one sector is not gonna shift this work. Uh, um, uh, uh, three, I would say is, how do we invest in the capacity um, of leaders and organizations and institutions, right, that they are, uh, 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 adequately resourced and have the infrastructure. Um, and the fourth thing I would say also is uh, um, paying close attention to uh, of the data, right? Now, I think at first you certainly have to inspire and change hearts and minds, but how are your, is your work actually shifting outcomes and and, 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 and and data, right? And everybody don't have to focus on that, but somebody has to be focusing on that. And uh, the last thing is uh, understanding of the long game, right? And how is Xavier at 16 uh, present in front of a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, 10-year-old young brother, sister uh, um, in his community that is like, oh God, when I'm 16, I want to be like uh, 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 Xavier Obama. What is it? Obama Xavier? Zabama. Zabama. <laughs> you know, I want to, and, and so I, I do think that that's important um, uh, as well because this is the, uh, you know, this is the long uh, uh, game. Uh, I have this book on my desk that I recently got called Elder Grace. Right, and I think the 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 other thing in the su sustainability is making sure that we are connected, right? That through generations and and learning, right? And the 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 evil thing about this pandemic is that we're just losing so many elders, yes. um, and that there are stories that uh, are not being told and lessons that. Uh, uh, have not been passed on that are going to the grave uh, due to this pandemic. And uh, we got to be real intentional uh, about, it's less about passing the baton, but how do we share the baton? Mm. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Uh, we usually close out with a piece and we ask our, our guests on to just leave 
uh, our listeners with some words of wisdom. But we also do a piece uh, where we just kind of spitfire some random questions and you just give a one word response. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to shorten it today. We usually do about 10 to 15. We're going to do about five. One word. Yeah, one, one word. word. Wow. You know, that's hard for me. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. It's, it's almost like multiple choice. So I know. <laughs> one word. Just one word. Okay. Right. Seeing as that you're a native of Jersey, uh, Nets or no, Knicks? No, no, I'm a native New Yorker. I live in New Jersey now, but native New Yorker. Let's get all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me correct. Let's get that right, yeah, man. New Yorker, but lives in Jersey. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this should be easy. Nets or Knicks? Knicks. Uh, since we're in Buffalo, we love pizza and wings up here. But you got to pick one of the one of the, one of the two. So pizza or wings? Wow. <laughs> um, chicken pizza. Chicken pizza. <laughs> um, this go, this is gonna be real tough. MJ, oh Kobe, LeBron, <laughs> Sean, LeBron. I don't know if LeBron was a choice. And, and let me say this. Uh, so I I've always uh, have had ill feelings towards uh, Michael Jordan for what he did to uh, uh, our Knicks. Uh, uh, he was he, he was Mixed. a structural he was a structural barrier to the Knicks uh, <laughs> during the '90s, but I have come to uh, uh, appreciate him more watching the Last Dance. But I don't know if LeBron was one of the choices. You just got MJ and Kobe out, but uh, he was. He sounds was. like that wasn't the right answer for you, huh? <laughs> I'm a diehard Kobe fan because I grew up watching Kobe, but Mike was Mike was Kobe before Kobe. Yeah. Um, last one. Martin, Malcolm, or Obama? Oof. Wow. Oh, you had to put him on the spot. And I know that's tough because you did work with Obama. All right. Since I'm disruptive and uh, I relish in breaking rules, um, I'm going to say Xavier. That's the answer to uh, uh, (laughs) I like it. I appreciate that show. I'm going to kick it back over to the way it closes up. All right, y'all, man. Today has been great. I needed this. Everybody, y'all needed this. We all needed this. I feel like mm-hmm. talking and just having a regular conversation, it eases our minds from reality. And we need more of that so we can start getting back to the root of the cause, and that's fixing our communities. So to close out, y'all, finally, there are a lot of youth out there today, including me, who's confused about their futures. What would you like to say to ensure and comfort us at this point in time? I would um, encourage uh, every young person to uh, seek and discover uh, their G-spot. And what do I mean by uh, a G-spot? Not what some may immediately uh, (laughs) uh, uh, think think about. I think when I say G spot, I mean your gift spot, um, your great spot, uh, your God spot, uh, your gold spot, because uh, we have treasure in, in, in inside of us, right? And so somebody's G spot may be politics and, and, and community organizing. Someone else's G spot may be graphic design or it may be the arts and the, uh, uh, and the music. And I think the greatest thing that we can do as the uh, adults is to help young people discover their G spot and discover their uh, gold uh, inside of them. And uh, uh, I had a poetry teacher uh, when um, uh, my, my junior year that I uh, met that uh, uh, introduced me to uh, a poetry and up until that point uh, a corner jump shot was my g-spot and that's how I derived confidence and uh, she taught me that I was a poet and um, uh, I didn't even know it right and uh, and so you have gold and I would close with a a poem that I often share that encourages uh, folks to discover uh, their g-spot and it goes uh, like this, uh, if ever there was a time for you to dig deep within, it is now, if only you would decide and begin. Mining your soul for your buried gold is why you are here, so dig deep and be bold. It is your purpose, your life's divine mission. It is your calling, so just get still and listen. And you will hear an old, so sweet sound 
telling you where your gold can be found. And you'd be wise to not let another moment fly by, cause the day will come when you'll surely die. Then the question for you will resoundingly be, did you dig deep for your gold for the world to see? Mm. Mining your soul for your buried gold is why you are here. So dig deep and be bold. Yes. So I would just uh, tell young folks listening to uh, discover your G spot and become a gold digger. <laughs> Wait, not that type of gold digger. <laughs> if you heard the poem, you get it. Gold, the gold that's inside of you. Right? <laughs> Sean, you were definitely ready for that close, man. I said, that was good. All right. Um, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. Um, I really want to pre- appreciate you all taking time out of your day. Um, in times like this, we need to come together. So I want to thank you all for tuning into the Breaking Beers podcast. Make sure you subscribe and rate our podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and a big, big, big shout out to our partners at Say Yes Buffalo, the Greater Buffalo Racial Equity Roundtable, and the Community Foundation for Greater Buffalo. We appreciate you all for tuning in today, and we wish you the best, and we love you. Mm. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Breaking Barriers podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you follow us on all of the streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. For more information about Breaking Barriers, visit our website at www.breakingbarriersbuffalo.org.